0: Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study.
1: Jesus, name above all names,
0: I worship you. Jesus,
1: worthy to be praised.
0: I worship you Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers.
2: Hey everybody, I'm Andy
1: Balogh. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. We know that growing into spiritual maturity is the only way that we can hope to qualify for the reward of ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus when he returns. However, many of us are stuck in spiritual infancy with no good idea how to grow in Christ. So today, we're going to take another look at what the Bible has to say about this topic and what spiritual maturity looks like in a believer. Let's
2: listen now to the Word of God.
0: A reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That was Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15.
1: Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always use a little acronym we call the SPACE method. SPACE is standing for speaker, SP, audience, A, and context, C, followed by the E explanation. It's a little reminder to always look at those elements before
2: we get into trying to interpret what we're reading in terms of scripture. Let's use the space method today on today's scripture reading. The speaker is the Apostle Paul, the author of much of the New Testament. He is a highly educated Jew, and he's the one whom God chose to bring Christianity to the Gentiles. The audience are the members of the church at Ephesus. The key thing to know about this church is it was the home base of Christianity in its region with influence over several nearby satellite churches. And the Ephesians were also more spiritually mature than other Christian churches at the time because the apostle Paul had personally pastored them for about 3 years and they had several other well-known heroes of the early church as their elders which included Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla. And as for the context, this was written at a time when the church faced 3 major challenges: disunity, false teaching, and corruption by the world. Now, we'll see all of these addressed in the passage today.
1: Thanks, Andy. Now that we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready to attempt the E, the explanation. So let's go back to the beginning of chapter 4 and break down this passage of scripture verse by verse, starting with Ephesians 4.1, which reads, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So a couple things here, Andy. One is that we see that Paul calls himself a, quote, prisoner of the Lord, which was a reference to his literal imprisonment for the faith, but also in keeping with his view that he was a servant or a slave to Christ. And You know, slave is a bad word, Um, and and even when you read about slavery in the Bible, Paul actually uses the the Greek word for slave when he talks about his relationship to Christ. He
2: calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he viewed it. I I think the right way for everybody listening to understand is, and I'm proud to say this too, we all should be proud to say this as Christians, is that Jesus purchased me with his blood, and I owe him for the rest of my life to serve him. Point blank. And I do it with joy. Right. Because he's a loving master. He's a loving God. And he deserves it. And I would I would not want to be any other place than to be in his house, in his home. So it's a joy to be, you know, to be a servant or a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but for Americans in a modern context, it makes
1: us think of chattel slavery. Absolutely. A bad history of slavery. So if it helps, you know, you could also substitute the word bond servant there, which was it's more true to the meaning of the word anyway. Yeah. Um, and then some other words that are important to to call out are the calling and have been called, which is in the past tense. And uh, these are speaking of um, first, as we call it, first tense salvation or spirit salvation or the gift uh, of salvation, as opposed to other tenses of salvation that we talk about, the ongoing continuous sanctification, which is what we call second tense salvation. And then this phrase, uh, a manner worthy, which was really directed at the Ephesians and surrounding churches since it spoke of the humble sacrifices of Jesus and the apostles.
2: Yeah, and then next he mentions four of the nine fruits of the Spirit, which you could read in detail in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now let's pick up verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called, like you mentioned past tense, in one hope of your calling. And then in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all.
1: Yeah, so we mentioned that disunity was one of the major challenges facing the Church at this time, so Paul makes a strong call to unity in those verses. And also note the mystery of the Trinity in these verses. He says there's one Spirit, one Lord, and one God and Father, three in one, the Trinity. Right. Uh, Notice also the omnipotence and omnipresence of God. He is over all, through all, in all, as you read, Andy. He is the force, the connectedness
2: that is sought by Eastern religions, right? Amen. And uh, no pun intended, that's a Star Wars reference, by the way. (laughs) But we'll take it. Now, verse 7 goes on to read, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Couple points here. According to the measure of Christ's gift recalls the parable of the talents, and you could read that in Matthew chapter 25. Now, in the parable, each servant is given Varying measures and the same reward. One gets five, earns five more, and gets to be in charge of many things. Another gets two, earns two talents, and then eventually gets the same reward. Now, from everyone who has been given much, it goes on to read in Luke 12 48, much shall be required, and that's that's important to remember as we mature in Christianity. Now we'll see more about this later when Paul explains that. Some were selected to be apostles, and then some teachers, etc.
1: Yeah, so Ephesians 4.17, like the parable of the talents, is about grace. What we receive from God through no effort of our own. You can contrast that with the parable of the minas, which is in Luke 19, where each servant is given the same measure, 10 in this case, but varying rewards. For example, one earns 10 more and gets 10 cities. One earns 5 more and gets 5 cities. So that parable is about works and how effort will be rewarded by God in varying degrees. So a mature believer, this is the point, must understand both of these things, right? Much is expected of those to whom much talent is given, but also we are all equal in the sense that we all have the same gift of Jesus Christ in us, and we're expected to multiply that investment,
2: if you will, through strong effort and good works. So moving on now to verse 8, and it reads like this. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 9 it reads, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Verse 10, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, Jordan, this one passage that helps us understand where faithful Jews went before Christ died on the cross and where they are now, it's it's a very important verse that we often you know, sometimes might read out of context and not understand why it's there. Now, Paul explains that before he ascended, Christ descended into the lower part of the earth, which we know today to be called Sheol. And we also know from the story of Lazarus, the beggar, which you can read in Luke chapter 16 that Sheol was divided into two parts. One was an area of torment, and the other side was considered a paradise, also called Abraham's bosom. And Jesus said in Luke 23, 43, when he was on the cross, he said to the, to the thief that was next to him, who accepted him and said, I deserve to be here, this man does not. He says to, Jesus says to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise.
1: Yeah, so you, you put a lot of these little scriptures together, and it just reinforcing your point, Andy, that that you know at that time when you died, you went to Sheol, and then Sheol was again divided into the Abraham's bosom portion, which is in that story of Lazarus and the rich man, and then uh, that it was also called paradise. That's what Jesus called it when he spoke to the thief on the cross. And then there's the torment section. The torment part also comes from Lazarus the beggar because of the uh, the rich man how he explains. Uh, where where how that story explains where he goes and what he says, etc.
2: Yeah, re- just to clarify, this might be a, an underlying question for everybody because I get asked this question all the time. And of course, Jordan and I always refer to Scripture to answer this. And this is part of that. So the the question often is is well, what happened to people that were Christians or were going to be saved, the good Jews, before the cross? Mm-hmm. And the answer is actually here. It's in these verses. Is that they, they went to hell? They went to Sheol, which is the proper term for it. It was in the ground, it was in the earth, but there was actually a good side and a bad side. There was a place of torment, and it was a paradise section. And the reason why they didn't go straight to heaven is because sin at the time was not paid for in full. Jesus right. didn't come, die on the cross, pay for the sins of the world in full, and they get resurrected. So the terminology that the Jews used in the Old Testament was atonement, which if you define in Hebrew, just means to blanket or cover up. Mm-hmm. You know, all they really did with sin was is sweep it under the rug. That's all they could do, right? Right. So people weren't allowed technically in heaven, in the third heaven where God the Father was. So they were actually in captivity. They were forced to be in this you know, beautiful section of Sheol, which again was in the earth, until the Messiah was to come, Jesus, to come down into heaven. Like we read earlier, he had to descend before he could ascend. And that's what Jesus did. When he died on the cross and he yielded up his own spirit, he went into the earth, he preached and he told everyone in paradise or Abraham's bosom, that he was the one who was the Messiah, the one they were waiting for. And then he brought paradise itself and everyone in it to the third heaven where God the Father was. So, again, I apologize about the little, you know, sidebar there. I just wanted our listeners at home to, to know that key point.
1: No, it's important, and to give them some scripture. So, you mentioned, you know, he made proclamation to the spirits in Sheol. That's in First Peter 3.19. If you wanted to look that up, Peter calls, uh, Peter calls it a prison. Um, and then he apparently, you know, freed the captive hosts in, in the paradise section at that time. And then you mentioned that um, he ascended, taking them with him to a place, uh, the third heaven, which uh, a place far above all the heavens. That's in Matthew 27. And, um, you know, the reason, just to not confuse people, what, what does third heaven mean? Well, think of it this way. The first heaven is the sky. You know, people will say, uh, look, look, he looked up to the heavens. Yes. So the first heaven is the sky. The second heaven is obviously outer space. and and the third heaven is somewhere beyond that, yeah. another dimension, if you will, or someplace in a spiritual realm that is not uh, visible or has not been seen or discovered by humans as of yet. Exactly. So, moving on um, to verse 11, it reads And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work
2: of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Andy, could you break that down a little bit for us? Sure. So let's look at some key points regarding these two verses here. This definitely gets to the heart of our question about spiritual maturity. You know, Jordan, growing up in the faith can look different for different people since we have different talents and we're called for different things when we're when we're serving the Lord. Apostles and prophets no longer exist. I think that we understand that that was a different time period, a different dispensation during the early church. Remember, an apostle had to have seen Jesus and been taught by him personally. And then the gift of prophecy and tongues and other signs and wonders ended. And we see that as a reference point, Acts 28, 28, which is we call the boundary line once that had passed. And Maybe we could discuss that a little bit for our listeners to understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, we've done a study on this before, but basically what happened is there was a grace period um, after the, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ when, you know, it, it's sort of one of those mysterious things when you read it, it, it's a little hard to wrap your head around, but there was this period of time when if Israel had accepted that the person that they allowed to be crucified was their Messiah, then the kingdom would have come in right then. And so God kind of gave them this little grace period. It was a little overlapping period exactly. between the dispensation of how you got saved was to be Jewish, and then switching over to just having faith and becoming part of the body. So that period of time, we think, and again, these are you know scripturally supported theories. We're not we're not saying it with the full authority of scripture because you know there's some debate about this, but we look at Acts twenty eight twenty eight as the boundary line because you know there's this story and Paul finally has this like final conversation with with the Jewish leaders, and they reject yet again, and they go away grumbling, the Bible says, and then and then Paul's basically like, you know what? I'm done talking to you people. I'm going to now go to the Gentiles who will hear this message that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and they'll accept it. And when he says that, it, it kind of marks the dispensational boundary line there of when of when we think that grace period ended, and now it was, you know, obviously part of God's plan. It was just going to be whoever had faith, neither Jew nor Greek, you know, anymore, we're all, we're all going to be one in the body of Christ.
2: Yeah, I think a, a lot of scholars, theologians, believe it was roughly a 40-year period. Like you said, it was an overlap. And at that time, Jews themselves had an opportunity to become saved. Right. right. In other words, to accept what Jesus did on the cross and also be able to extend their faith, you know, into accepting the fact that they were responsible for crucifying Jesus Christ. Right. And going on to Acts 28, 28, you know, at the time, there was basically a summit. It's something that I'm sure Paul prayed about. And they and they had a summit of, of Gentiles and Jews, and I'm probably assuming mostly Jews like Pharisees and Sadducees, mm-hmm. to, to get together and decide, is Jesus or isn't he the Messiah? And because they couldn't come to terms as a nation, like you said, Paul said, you know what, the Holy Spirit put in his heart because it was written for us to read. Right now, this is where it ends. Right. So and we also read later when Paul and, and there's a here's a good point here I wanted to mention, you know, there, early in, in Paul's ministry, before this dispensation was over, there was times when Paul was able to heal people. Mm-hmm. There was times when he could, you know, perform miracles. I believe it was Eutychus who was in an upper room during a late Bible study that fell out the window. He basically died, and Paul ran downstairs, gave him a hug and a kiss, and he came back to life. Right. You know? Um, but then we see later on in his in his life. Paul was starting to become blind and he couldn't even read anymore. He was losing his eyesight. Right? Uh, maybe the repercussions of, you know, the road to Antioch, it was kind of coming back to him and he couldn't heal himself. You know, there was times where Timothy had stomach ulcers and problems and on all his nerves about being a new pastor, a young man, you know, Paul basically didn't tell him, hey, I'll heal you. But he said, you know, have a little wine for your stomach's sake. Right. So, you know, when we put all these facts together, we see there's definitely a dispensational end at one point, and Acts 28, 28 provides that. You know, also in in Romans, and here's another key point, Paul tells, and this was after the, Acts 28, 28, chronologically, Paul tells the reader of the letter in Romans, he said, look, there's no more Jew or Gentile. Mm-hmm. You're either a Christian or you're not. So basically what he was doing is saying, look, there is no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more overlap dispensation. Either you're, from now on, you're either going to believe in Jesus Christ and you're going to have eternal life, or you're not going to accept him as your savior, as the one who died for the sins of the law, and those people are going to be left behind. And that, and that going forward is, is, I just wanted our listeners to understand that, you know, why Acts 28, 28 is so important historically for Christianity.
1: Yeah, so when you read the, this list of, um, you know, he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists, I think it's important, the point that we're trying to make is that some of those people don't no longer exist because prophecy was a gift of the spirit that no longer exists. And, of course, apostles had particular credentials. There are no modern-day apostles because they didn't witness Jesus and, and were not taught by him personally. But other gifts that are listed here still obviously still exist. We do have evangelists, or those who have a heart and a talent for bringing salvation to the lost. Um, we have pastors, you know, shepherds and leaders of the flock. And we have teachers, those who lead Bible studies, instruct children, etc. And we also have many who do the, quote, work of service
2: and help build up the body of Christ. Yeah, we could read that in in the next verses, 13, 14, and 15, which I'll do briefly. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, as a result we are no longer to be children, spiritual children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and that could even mean Christian men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ.
1: Yeah, so again, this gets to the heart of our question about maturity for today. You know, he gives a purpose. We should aspire to achieve maturity so that we are worthy of, quote, the fullness of Christ. And, you know,
2: what does that mean? Well, he he adds to our understanding of what immaturity looks like, and Being easily swayed to follow false doctrines, for instance, or easily deceived by religious con artists. So again, how can we grow in maturity and protect ourselves from scammers, let's say? Well, he gives two keys, the words unity and the word knowledge. Now, unity speaks to having a united front as a church and not letting petty divisions create an opportunity for Satan to divide us and then give an opening to false doctrines, which is what does happen, unfortunately. And knowledge, the word knowledge in the Greek is actually the word epinosis, which when we define it means the overknowledge, or more clearly, the higher knowledge. Now, this mature knowledge, which is exactly the word we're reading in context here, is beyond gnosis, or standard knowledge, or understanding of God. And of course, knowledge is, is representing the elementary principles of Christ's death and resurrection. So now we're talking about something beyond just the basics here.
1: Right. It's epinosis is knowledge about what's next or what's in store. It's knowledge of the millennial kingdom and the glories that are in store for those believers who achieve maturity and produce works that are worthy of reward. I think that's why Paul calls it higher knowledge of the Son of God in verse 13. You know, the Son of God, of course, is destined to rule over all things. So then, and then continuing on in verse 16, finally, from whom the whole body... Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And this is the second time that he emphasizes the key ingredient, which is love. In the previous verse, we are to speak the truth in love. In this verse, we are to do our part as the joints of the body to assist in the growth of the body and build it
2: up in love. Yeah, Jordan, in both cases, the word love is the word agape in the Greek. And you know, to define, it's perfect, it's unconditional, it's mature, like you said. And godly love is is what we're looking at here for this word. So when there is unity within the body, there is love, there is agape. And when every part is working correctly in a healthy way, the body grows and it is built up in love.
1: Yeah, so in terms of our recap and takeaways for this lesson, To recap, our question today was, what is spiritual maturity? And our answer from the Apostle Paul today, it's found in both the head and the heart. The head must contain higher knowledge. The heart must contain higher love. Moreover, the body of Christ, which is the church, must be unified and protected from false doctrines in order for the individual members of the body to achieve
2: this maturity. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's two zero mbs as in MinuteBibleStudies.org. Our website has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forum, ways to support this ministry, and more. You can also sign up to receive an email whenever we upload a new Bible study.
1: Our first email will even include a link to a special series titled, 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is our gift to you when you join our community. So be sure to visit us at
2: 20mbs.org. While you're there, please also consider donating in support of Give20, our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. The Give20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and
1: receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's word. And we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you
2: heard today. To join the Give20 initiative, visit our website and click Donate.
0: Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly.
2: of the Kingdom, Incorporated.